welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Jen, and I am podcasting solo today for a special bonus episode about the premiere of Star Trek Picard. Let's get started. Some production notes. This is episode one of season one. The title is Remembrance. This episode was written by the showrunner team composed of Akiva Goldsman, Michael Chabon, Kirsten Beyer, Alex Kurtzman, and writer James Duff. I didn't think James Duff had any Star Trek credits, but I double-checked, and he actually wrote an episode of Star Trek Enterprise called Fortunate Son that I have zero memory of. This episode was directed by Hanal Culpepper. I think it's Hanalee Culpepper is how she pronounces it, actually, but I could also be completely wrong with that. And this is a little bit of history. This is the first woman to direct a premiere episode of Star Trek. And she's also the the first black woman director of any Star Trek. And she did that, of course, when she worked on two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. So let's do a brief overview of the episode. If you haven't yet watched the episode, go do that now. And here's what happened. The episode begins with Picard having a nostalgic dream that turns into a nightmare featuring Data and the attack on Mars. He wakes and then gives an interview that ends badly but serves its purpose in filling in some important facts. Then we see a young woman named Dodge who was just accepted into the Daystrom Institute. Before she and her boyfriend can finish celebrating, people beam in and attack. Her boyfriend is killed, and Dodge becomes activated and kills all the attackers. Then she feels a compulsion to find Picard. She goes to the chateau where Picard is now living, and the two have a conversation trying to figure out why she knows him and what happened. Night falls, and Picard lets her sleep there. He then has another dream featuring Data working on a painting of a young woman. When Picard wakes, he learns that Dodge has left, and he has recognized the painting from his dream. He goes to the Quantum Archive at Starfleet to look at the painting in question. There he learns that Data created it 30 years ago, and the woman in the painting is Dodge. Data had named the painting Daughter. Dodge had left the chateau earlier because she didn't want to endanger anyone. She has a strange communication with her mother who tells her to go back and find Picard. So Dodge tracks him down and Picard explains that he believes she is a a synthetic life form and is related to Data. Before she can really process that information, they are attacked. Dodge keeps Picard safe, but is killed in the end. Picard is knocked unconscious in the blast. When Picard awakes at his chateau, the authorities have lied about what happened, and they didn't see Dodge there. So maybe they didn't lie, maybe they didn't actually see her. Now Picard is determined to find out why she was killed and who was behind the attack. He goes to the Daystrom Institute and talks with Dr. Agnes Gerardi about the possibility of creating a flesh-and-blood synthetic. While at first she insists it's impossible, 
The necklace Dodge had, which Picard now has, is the symbol for a type of theoretical cloning process that would have produced twin clones. We then see Dodge's twin on a Romulan reclamation site. A young Romulan male approaches her, and they start to have a conversation. The camera zooms out, and we can see the reclamation site is actually on a Borg cube. Now let's jump in with some of my thoughts. First, the dream sequence to open the show. This was an interesting choice. I'm not generally a fan of dream sequences, but the more I think about it, the more well done I think this episode is. First, there were no funky special effects. We knew it was a dream, not because there were like fuzzy blurred edges for the camera or weird perspectives. Um, the first one did have a bit of a zoom through space which actually brought in something I consider a staple of a Star Trek premiere, that being a ship shot. And here we saw the Enterprise D. So we got a ship shot without there actually being a ship for the show. This was a nice bit of a nostalgia as well. The other thing about that first dream sequence is the amount of layered meanings in the dialogue. The scene itself calls back to all good things when Picard starts playing poker with his officers at the end of the series. His line of not wanting the game to end can refer to the game itself, his time with Data, the dream, his captaincy, and even the period of stability before the terror attack on Mars. It gives us a tiny snippet of backstory without relying too much on exposition. The second dream sequence calls back to the first with Data, but tricks us into not realizing it was a dream for just a moment. Both of them manage to be surreal without being goofy. Often, dream sequences are used by shows so the characters can do something that would be out of their character. And it lets them break character without breaking character. These dream sequences do the opposite. They have things that are very in character happen and are helping the character process information, get um, make connections about what's happening in their real life. There's a small third beat of dream sequence right at the end when Picard's knocked unconscious. It's a kind of artificial dream because he's knocked out and didn't fall asleep. So he doesn't get new insights, but everything piles together in a jumble, dream and memory. And this is the moment that Picard wakes up, literally and figuratively. He's waking up from his state of waiting to die and decides to be a man of action once again. So, like I said, normally I'm not a fan of the dream sequences, but this show actually did them really well, and they carried a lot of impact. Let's talk about a few of the lighter things. 
First of all, as a kind of general aside, can I just say I want a quantum archive? I want to be able to like file things away in a room with what seems like unlimited memory. I just think that would be cool. Let's talk a bit about the aesthetics of the show. So beautiful. I would like to live at the chateau, or at least visit it, please. I love the modern city effects, and that we got to see more than just one city. We're really seeing the big budget the show has, and just what they can do with that. We got to see Boston very briefly, and San Francisco, and I noticed that the Golden Gate Bridge appeared to have the road surface redone in solar panels. So cool. And then we got a small glimpse of what looked like Paris when Dodge had left the, the chateau. I like all the indications that Jean-Luc has brought technology to the chateau, and the clothing in this has also been beautiful. I want Dodge's hooded jacket. The lines on it were gorgeous, and it just looked so cozy without being bulky. There hasn't been any standout knitwear for me yet. I know from the previews that there are going to be some pieces coming, though. I'm looking forward to that. Let's talk now about the theme song. The score is beautiful. It didn't grab me as much as the Discovery theme, but I think it will grow on me as time goes by. Jeff Russo has once again done an incredible job. The visuals on this are stunning and layered with the themes of the show, which is no surprise after learning how purposeful the creators of Discovery worked hints into the visuals of that show's theme. So it starts with this little piece of the sky cracking and falling, which is a good metaphor for Starfleet and things falling apart. And whether that's due to the soap supernova, a terror attack, or the powers that be letting the fear drive their decision making. This little piece then falls through all sorts of things, and we see lots of crumbling elements that are moving through all the shots. And at the end, we can actually see that these pieces are coming together in Picard. The fragments are forming him into the man he is and the person who is needed to solidify things again. There's also possibly some symbolic, symbolic elements of the scattered remains of the Romulan people, putting the pieces of themselves back together again and on an in individual basis. These synths who are unaware of their true nature are finding the pieces of themselves as well. There's lots of imagery here that was also a callback to the necklace on the show. Lots of circles, and it looked like there was some eye imagery as well. We also see a Borg cube, and I like that we have a cube and a circle, which is a good juxtaposition of two different shapes. It's also instantly recognizable and will probably take on even more meaning as the events of the season unfold. 
Finally, there were some other geometric shapes, which I think are going to evoke fractal images and remind us of that fractal neuronic cloning, which seems to be the technology behind the existence of Dodge, Soji, and who knows how many other synthetics. Speaking of Dodge and the synthetics, I'm really liking the Dodge and Soji storyline. The actress is doing a great job so far. I was quite upset when Dodge died, actually. I think they did a really good job of getting us invested in her right off the bat. I'm wondering if there are going to be more iterations of her, if it was just her and her sister, or if they have lots of multiple clones. Be interesting to see what they do, and I hope they don't make it too much like other stories. If anyone has seen Orphan Black, you'll know kind of what I mean and what the story could do, and I don't just want to see a replica of that. I have a whole bunch of other questions about this specifically as well, like, is Maddox their father? Did Dodge and Soji know about each other? Soji mentions a twin, but Dodge never did. Is Soji self-aware? Did Soji know about the attack? Or maybe even order it? Dodge's attackers at first are trying to just knock her unconscious, and they seem to want some, some sort of information from her about the others. Once she activates, that seems to be off the table. Or possibly, are there multiple groups at play here? One little tiny detail I noticed on the second watch through is that Dodge had an orchid in her apartment, which I thought was really nice since she mentions her husband was a xenobotanist and he created an orchid that he named after her. I'm also really going to be listening to Soji to see if there is a line about her being from Seattle or the Pacific Northwest somewhere to give some more subtle clues about whether she and Dodge knew each other. While I generally really liked the show, there are a few things that were my least favorite bits. Um, really quick, both Dodge, or I guess Soji, being a doctor, seems a bit of a stretch since Dodge seemed to be just like in her 20s. Same with Dr. Agnes Gerardi. Not that she seemed young to be a doctor necessarily, but she seemed young to have as much scope on the historical events that she had. Now, this might just be because she was Maddox's protege, and he gave her a lot of really in-depth knowledge by working closely with her. But it was a little bit hard to... Um, believe that these people had so much knowledge and were so advanced while they were so young. My other main beef with the show is that the intervention of authorities seems a little conspicuously absent. I mean, there was the attack on Dodge in her apartment. I guess we could conclude that the group who sent the attack also sent some people to clean it up afterwards. Otherwise, how long is it going to take before her boyfriend is noticed as missing, right? And then, like, a dead person turns up in your apartment and they are definitely going to look for you. Another really nice side note here is that her boyfriend 
was Zahian. So the same race that was encountered in Discovery, um, Poe's race, um, that's the same race her boyfriend was, the same species. And then the other big lack of authorities was after the attack on Picard. So this retired admiral is attacked and knocked unconscious in a blast in the vicinity of Starfleet archives. And then they don't have him in a medical facility. He's not being questioned by police. If this happened today with like a retired Navy admiral in the vicinity of some Navy archives, would they just send him home? Like, no way. So that part I was raising my eyebrows a bit about how did they just let him go. Why weren't they questioning what happened? Even if all the attackers disappeared, like, how did he get knocked unconscious? There must have been some evidence that something happened there. So, like, is Starfleet incompetent now as well as xenophobic? So, those little bits bugged me, but I can mostly get by those. I have some really big philosophical questions about the development of the synths. So when you're looking at these synthetic life forms, the question that I'm coming back to is why are they being created? Data was sort of one of a kind. Dr. Nunian Sung was working at the time without any authority or official backing, and he was proving scientific theories and attempting to refine and further the science of creating artificial life. It was pursuit of knowledge, art almost. So why is an organized group creating a lot of them? And what duty does the creator have towards the things they're creating? When humans procreate, parents need to nurture, educate their children, and give them the skills to live independently and ultimately then pursue their own free will. Did Starfleet give that to the synths? The notion of building the pyramids comes up in the episode, and Picard points out that it was an exercise in vanity. And I'm wondering... Are the synths being created, or were they being created by Starfleet for similar purposes? You know, those life forms have to be given the free will to pursue what they want, and not just be given a list of duties. Data even chose Starfleet. A huge part of his early arc was in demonstrating that he had free will. I'm really wondering if it's going to be revealed that Starfleet was trying to create for their own vanity. Were they creating for the comfort and safety of humans? But you don't need sentient life to do that. They already have robots and tools and drones for that. Or were they creating the synths for more pure purposes... Were they just creating them to create new life for scientific advancement? And then did the synths get radicalized by other factors? I'm also really curious to see how the holograms fit in. Of course, Voyager had some very interesting plots dealing with the Doctor in this. And it was very curious that we saw at the archives that there was a hologram there. 
And I'm wondering if that's a little plot nugget that will be developed or if that's a red herring. Now, what are some things I'm looking forward to and expecting from the rest of the season? So in the next couple of episodes, we're going to see Picard assemble more information and more of his crew. We've had the faux ship shot, and now it's time for the other premier staple of, like, the crew rundown and introductions. I am extremely, extremely excited to see Troy and Riker together again, and I really want to see their child. I'm so excited by this. And I also really want to figure out how the Borg, the Synths, and the Romulans are all fitting together. And I was really glad this episode didn't end with a cliffhanger, but instead with this new bit of information. It changes our understanding of this world. And it wasn't just a Soji reveal, since we already knew that after Picard's discussion with Agnes. But then they zoom out to reveal the Borg cube. I thought that was really great, and I really am looking forward to how this all pieces together. Okay, so I think that about covers it. So where can you find me if you want to talk more Star Trek? You can email a command of her own at gmail.com, or find me on twitter.com slash command of her own, or on Instagram with the username a command of her own. All these links will be in the show notes. And this is Jen saying, until next time, have you ever been a stranger to yourself? Okay, bye.